0: Hello, this is Bill Curley.
1: And Holly Hudley.
0: And welcome to the podcast, In Between, which is an educational offering of
1: St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life.
0: So the first question I have after saying good morning is, is this our last podcast for the year?
1: Is this our last podcast for
0: the year? Yeah, I think it is, actually. I think so. But I usually usually take the week between Christmas and the first of the year off.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: To do family stuff. Uh Uh-huh. So...
1: Well, even... Oh, oh, yeah, I was thinking that next week was the first of the year anyway, but it's not. It's not quite. No, no, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: a week from... um, Today, let's see, today's twenty. will be the 28th of... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I guess it is. Yeah. Hmm. So how shall we spend this time today? Well,
0: I'm not I'm not going to do anything except just sit back and and uh, bask in the storytelling that you have about <laughs> going to swim with whales and watching your first ever live animal bird. <laughs> and I can just go sit here and go, "Oh, wow."
1: Okay. <laughs> um sure. Well, I will absolutely say that this well, these last three weeks have been some of the most magical weeks of my year for sure, and possibly of my life. Um, so I've I'm ending 2022 on a real kind of exhausted elation, I guess. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, Um, the most
0: immediate thing is, is that your, you your dog has had these little bitty, bitty, bitty puppies.
1: Well, when we co-teach again, I'll show a picture, but she had my dog, whose name is Ruby, um, had a litter of nine puppies and she's a cream English retriever. And she's, she's, I've had dogs ever since I was born. And I have attachments to each of these dogs that I've had over my life, um, especially as an adult having my own dogs. But she is, mm, this sounds mean to say, she is, she's the sweetest dog I've ever had. I I don't want to say favorite, but she's the sweetest dog I've ever had. And she, and so she just became a mother and I was amazed, number one, watching my first ever live mammal birth. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm or anything like that, that would make that part of my regular experience. Um, so I was kind of a doula (laughs) for my dog and, you know, literally holding these placenta sacks as they come out and guiding them out of her and then opening them, giving her the puppies and letting her do what she needed to do to sort of bring them into the world. And so
0: if, if you hadn't been there, she would have done this all by herself.
1: If she hadn't been there, she would have done this all by herself. And if I sorry, if I hadn't been there, what I am also thinking in retrospect is that the first two probably would have died. And this is, you know, part of why I think mammals in the wild that give birth to um dependent mm-hmm. babies. So puppy dogs being one of them, humans being another of them, right? We don't have big litters <laughs> typically, but um. But we give birth to dependent offsprings. Pu- dogs give birth to dependent offsprings. A-, a baby horse, for example, gets up and is walking within hours of its birth. Right. And, but a, a puppy can't see for the first 10 days. And a puppy is still squirming around trying to find the mom for the first 10 days. And um, if she had been a wild dog, the first two probably would have died. Because the first one that she gave birth to really scared her. And it was in our living room and she ran away and ran to her bed up in my bedroom and was just like trembling. She was really freaked out. It seemed the second one. I got her back down to the whelping box and she stayed where she was, but she was still kind of, she kept leaning into me and she kept kind of pressing into me. Um, And she still didn't quite the instincts didn't kick in yet, but by the third one, she came out handed her to the mother and she knew exactly what to do so then she went back to number 1 and 2 and kind of redid what she was supposed to do but we had to take off the placenta and we had to remove the umbilical cord for the first two um and then she did all the work from there on out so number 3 through 9 she she her instincts took over and it was pretty it's pretty cool to watch this kind of transition between fear to comfort by the time the ninth one came she had eight puppies on her nipples and gave birth to the ninth one so she's nursing eight and she just
0: had another one yeah wow
1: yeah 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 but she's been really sweet really um It's really just, that's just been so neat to watch how sweet she is with her puppies.
0: Now, how long will you keep these puppies?
1: So I have them at my house for about three weeks and then they go to the breeder's house. Who's kind of more set up for the puppies as they get bigger and more mobile for the first couple of weeks. They're really almost entirely in the whelping box, meaning they're, they're nursing and sleeping all the time. And, um, so, I,
0: I'm, I'm going to ask an uh, indelicate question. Do okay. they poop and pee?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh. I, my job is to change the, the bedding is to, um, so I'm doing, you know, one or two loads of laundry a day and, and my friend who is the breeder rather just some really simple genius ways of doing this, you know, um, they probably didn't have these when your kids were little, but there's crib sheets that are made now that go on top of like the the top sheet for a baby crib. And they're Uh waterproof so that if your baby has an explosive diaper at night, that you don't have to wash the whole thing. You just have to wash the crib sheet. So my friend Adrian uses crib sheets in the whelping box. So you, so that stains the top, but it doesn't go through to the floor. For example, it doesn't go through to whatever's underneath. So yes, they poop and pee and my dog mostly cleans their butts. Um, So she's getting a lot of like, Nastiness, (laughs) Nastiness, <laughs> yeah. which may explain her diarrhea. This is this is like facts of life podcast right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So after three months, you'll take them to the breeder.
1: No, three weeks. I'll take three them weeks, to the breeder. Take
0: them to the breeder, and then and what, are you going to keep one of these puppies?
1: I'm going to keep one. Um, but even then, at three weeks, my dog and the whole litter will go to the breeder's house, um, where she'll take care of them from weeks three through seven and then people can start taking their puppies home and then I get my dog back
0: (laughs) are they already spoken for they
1: are already spoken for yeah all of them all of them are spoken for including the one we're going to keep so uh before they were even born um Adrian had a whole list of people and
0: and how did you decide among nine of these children which one would be yours
1: I have no idea which one is going to be mine right now (laughs) okay they're so easy to fall in love with
0: (laughs) you won't pick it on the basis of personality or weight or traits or anything because they won't be developed by then you just it'll be a blind choice
1: yeah I'll have to go over I do get first pick um I think I'm assigned to a girl but another friend of mine is getting one of the puppies and we're both good with either girl or boy um Mm -hmm. I am Right now, a little bit in love with the runt. He's so tiny. <laughs> but um yeah, but was honestly, the runt the firstborn? No, the runt was the fifth born. fifth born. Yeah, and that interesting. The yeah. second runt, the the second smallest was the first born. But hmm. the largest one, okay, all right, you're not a baseball fan, but I'm gonna tell you anyway, <laughs> um you know, we had nine puppies. There are nine innings in a baseball game. The closer for a baseball game, the the closing pitcher, pitches just the last inning usually. So we'll come in and close the game, especially in a win situation. You want your really good closer on the mound. For us, the ninth inning closer um, is Ryan Presley. So the number nine puppy I've named Presley.
0: (laughs) Okay. And how how do you, I saw pictures of them, so I'm cheating Mm -hmm. a little bit. That's all right. You put collars on them. Good. And and Sherry asked an interesting question or uh, She asked what the collars are for. And you said they were to distinguish birth order, or birth weight, that sort of thing. They're not nine different colors. Yeah. There are. hmm okay. They're nine.
1: They each have a different color collar on based on their birth order. Um, helps identify gender and um then helps us keep track of the weight for each dog so that we know who's gaining and who's losing so far, they're all gaining so far, they're all doing fine. Um, but if I didn't track them by color, I wouldn't know if their weight was adjusting for that particular dog. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So that's why the collars. that wasn't, that wasn't me. That's my friend, Adrian. She has a whole like system, you know, marking when they come out. Cause some people will sign up and say, I want to, I want the firstborn. I want the firstborn male, you know, <laughs> and they're, they're really particular. Other people sign up and say, I don't care what birth order I get. I just want a girl. So you kind of make your list according to what people's specifications are. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting business. I'm glad I'm not in the business. <laughs> I just get to delight in these little miracles. The, the breeder
0: that you're using, I'm assuming that she breeds more than one dog at a time. I mean, she
1: she's kind of a she's kind of a small uh, small shop breeder. Um, actually, I grew up with her. She and I have known each other since we were eight years old, and we played softball together. Um, she lived down the street from where my parents currently live. And, um, uh, so we have a long history together. We're very comfortable with each other. She is a small time breeder, meaning she may have four litters a year and she breeds only one female dog at a time. The bigger Mm -hmm. breeders will have like four litters at a time and, and have, constant dogs giving birth she does them kind of strategically and spaced out as as in as much as she can control that so
0: mm. yeah I remember years ago when I was in the the market for a dog and and wanted a, I knew exactly what I wanted and so as I began to explore that the the a piece of advice I got was avoid puppy meals. what's a puppy meal?
1: puppy mill is when people are doing what even more to the degree of what I just described, constantly breeding. So they might artificially inseminate the females, uh, do a planned C-section and have constant puppies. So they they would have like um, the female mothers um, con- you know, being artificially inseminated, planned C-section, always having a litter readily available. So that wow. means that you also have to kind of have enough variety of female dogs that have heats at different times. So, Mm -hmm. so that, so that they give birth according to when they go in heat. So if they go in heat in January, they get pregnant, they're going to give birth in March. Right. Uh So, so if you're planning that, then you have to know this dog is going to go in heat at what time. And that, so puppy mill is just like constantly churning out puppies. Um, someone who is a more kind of relational breeder lets the dogs do it naturally, (laughs) Uh, my dog was not artificially inseminated. She, she did it the way you do it, <laughs> and uh-huh. and um, had birth naturally. So, so there are places that kind of ensure that there are puppies all always available. Um,
0: I never thought in a hundred thousand years that we would be talking about this on our uh, podcast. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> what's a, what's your gestation period for a dog?
1: Nine weeks. I didn't know it was so short
0: it is short
1: yeah yeah um and i will say the way it relates to kind of like spiritual thinking you know you've said this before miracles abound right Right. all of life is somewhat of a miracle
0: absolutely
1: and if you sink into that then really you're kind of always blown away by the magic of this world and watching my dog give birth being part of it handling these newborn puppies kind of handing them to her she didn't need me to do that but it just ensures that they'll survive between point a and point b uh was really magical i mean it was just really cool and
0: you know that's really interesting because some species, if you touch the newborn, the parents well, will abandon them.
1: Well, so if it had been, let's say not me, she trusts me and and she it's it's been really sweet too. I, I don't want to project emotions onto dogs. I don't know what goes on to in their inner world. but with every birth, she was looking to me for where are you? And um, in the first couple of births, she was pressing her head into my body to kind of help steady her. Wow. And, th- and so that was just like, that was, it was really sweet. You Did know? your
0: boys get to see this?
1: My boys were at school during most of the births. Um, they were home for the last one. One boy decided, uh-uh, too gross. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the other ones watched it. And my oldest, so this continues the miracle, is that my oldest- he sat there and watched it and he was filming it and he started crying. He said, Oh my gosh, this gives me the shivers. This is miracle. So he too, at 13, got to connect with this kind of miracle right right in front of him. And I thought that was pretty cool that he could actually name that for himself, that I didn't have to name for him. What you are witnessing is a miracle, you know? (laughs) So He's a pretty cool kid, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. (laughs) So shifting the subject dramatically, a graduation present for yourself. Mm -hmm. You went away last week, which is why we did not podcast. And you went swimming with whales.
1: Yeah. Well, last week we didn't podcast because literally the first birth happened. At 10, 15 a.m., you and I start our podcast at 11. And I think I texted you, can't podcast dog giving birth. <laughs> that was it. Um, yeah. But the week before that, I was in Baja, Mexico, in the Sea of Cortez, you know, the the peninsula that sort of connects uh-huh. California and Mexico. Um, is. And I've never been to Baja. I've been to like uh, Cabo that's over on that coast, but that's sort of more of a party town. And we kayaked, we see kayaked all along this island called Espiritu Santo. It's in the southeastern corner of the peninsula. Uh-huh. And um, it was just an amazing trip. I, When I finished my dissertation and turned it into my committee, I called my best friend from college and said, hey, you want to do an adventure with me? <laughs> I want to celebrate. <laughs> And she was already signed up for this trip. So she sent me the link and I signed up with her and it was 10 days, um, eight of which, no, sorry, nine days, seven, seven of which were kayaking, snorkeling, swimming, camping, and uh, two and a half of which were in the, in the town at a hotel.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So it was, oh man, This is part of why I've had like the most magical end of my year I could ever dream up. Um, I was really looking forward to swimming with whale sharks. So whale sharks are not whales. They are fish. They're the largest fish in the ocean that we know of. And they swim like fish or sharks, meaning their tails go back and forth side to side, right? Mm. Whereas a whale swims up and down right? That's their tail is like a paddle that paddles the water and whale sharks are also baleen feeders, meaning they are filter feeders just like whales. Um, so they're not aggressive. They don't have teeth. They have filters and they feed on plankton just like whales, but they're fish and they grow to be upwards of, um, 30 meters long. I mean, they're huge so in the sea of cortez at this time of year the juveniles are coming to this kind of protective area to feed so that they can just grow in size so we we took a boat over to where they feed and the whole thing is very regulated the espiritu santo is an is a is a national park and all of the creatures are protected the land is protected and They have really strict rules about who can enter into this area and for how much time uh, you cannot touch them. You can only get so close to them. The boats are only allowed in for an hour at a time. So that means if you don't see any whale sharks, you have to leave. Um, They only allow a couple in per day with certified diving guides because they're really adamant about protecting this species. So we saw immediately, we saw two large ones swimming with our boat, but they dove under pretty quickly. Then we saw about a 12 foot long um, juvenile and we jumped out and swam with that one. But he also dove down pretty quickly that when when you're snorkeling, you can't dive down with them um, very easily. Then about 10 minutes later, we saw another one who was just like, I kind of joked that he was like a a couch in the ocean. He was just drifting along, Hmm. drifting along. And he was just kind of moving in these ever widening circles to feed. And so we got to swim with him for about 30 minutes. And I swear to you, Bill, if that guide had not been telling me, Holly, we need to get back in the boat. Our time is up. I would have kept swimming into the great beyond. I (laughs) was mesmerized.
0: Wow. Well, did, did the sharks interact with you?
1: No, we're not supposed to invite that either. So the whole experience is kind of swimming alongside them, sort of following their patterns. And you really do kind of get like pulled into their current.
0: Mm-hmm. And these
1: whale sharks are a whole ecosystem. Um, they have fish attached to them that eat parasites and algae and all the things that are bad for the whale shark. And uh, those are the Romaro, I can't remember the name of them, That, but they're kind of like algae eaters. So all over the whale shark body are these little suck, suckers attached to his body, eating all of the bad things. And then following along underneath the whale shark are schools of fish who just want to be part of its current but they're also protected by their predators. If they're with this giant fish that has no predators. So I just become one of the fish swimming along with it. Um, and it was, I mean, it was really cool. It was, it was really cool. I mean, this, this juvenile was easily 25 feet long. So
0: Did did you have a camera capable of taking pictures?
1: There was a woman our one of our guides had a GoPro, which is an underwater camera that you can kind of attach to your snorkel mask or hold with your hand. Uh And she has video of it, but I haven't seen it yet. So I don't know if she's downloaded it yet, but I really, really hope that that came through. Otherwise, I mean, it's never going to leave my memory. It is. It's I was so, just
0: wondering yeah. if when we do teach again, if you yeah. could show some pictures.
1: I hope so. I hope so. I haven't gotten them yet, but I hope by then that I will. But man, I tell you what, I will not forget that experience.
0: <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that I was thinking about when you talked about these sharks coming back to the feeding ground is that many, many, many um, species have this internal if you were GPS or guidance system that even after years Mm -hmm. of being away from a particular place, they can guide themselves or be guided back Mm -hmm. to where they were born or Mm -hmm. where they feed or where Mm -hmm. they breed.
1: Mm -hmm. Even, and this is sort of like epigenetics in a way. It's almost like a thumbprint that they receive. Yeah. Their, their, their mother might've fed in that place. And this might be the first time that that juvenile is going to this place. You know what I mean? Like this kind of generational pattern. But they know Monarch- where to go. Yeah, Somehow mon-
0: they know where to go.
1: It's exactly right. Monarch butterflies are the same.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this sort of and and so it kind of prompted me to read up a little bit more on whale sharks. And I kept referring to the juvenile as he. It's because. About They estimate that about 70% of the whale sharks that come to these kind of breeding and feeding grounds are, are males. And no one, no human being has ever seen a live birth of a whale shark. Whereas with many other species, we've observed it based on tracking, based on um ocean oceaneers who go out and and really kind of study these creatures but no live birth of a whale shark has ever been seen so they really don't know where they give birth but we do know where they come with their young and usually it's a pod of juveniles that come to one place is isla hobash off of the caribbean side of mexico in the gulf of mexico another place Uh is um, baja in the sea of cortez but the, the uh-huh. females are strangely absent. It's so interesting to me. And it makes, I have this whole fantasy in my mind about like the sort of mother colony of whale sharks, <laughs> this kind of magical female driven underwater thing. That's you know, that, that,
0: that, that yeah. frankly surprises me to hear you say that it hasn't been photographed because. Yeah. The last couple of years I have been just in awe of the photographs that nature photographers,
1: mm-hmm. both still
0: photos and film photography, that they've been able to get of the most difficult.
1: Yeah yeah
0: things. but it, it's incredible that so that's unusual
1: yeah Do you, i don't know if you remember vaguely i um i quoted stephen hawking in in the last talk i gave in ordinary life as he kind of you know he was in search of the theory of everything right and he finally pivoted and said you know maybe it's okay that we don't arrive at the theory of everything because it keeps us in pursuit of wonder mystery mm-hmm. and 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 this is kind of one of those things, like nature, the natural world, keeps us forever in pursuit of wonder. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, being able to camp, kayak, snorkel, swim with these giant creatures kept me um I was I just felt so playful for those ten days. And I observed that in nature every species has a way of playing. Right. You know, and that was yeah, so yeah, fun yeah. to like, also consider myself a creature and to play. All right. You know, I don't get to just play. You know, a,
0: a guy yeah. that you recommended that I read in a, years ago, Brian Swim says mm-hmm. that we humans, uh <clears throat> After discovering that we had feet, that we had ears, that we had eyes, all that sort of thing, learn how to dance and to sing and to make mm-hmm. music and art, and mm-hmm. because we have this propensity too, and then it gets sadly educated out of us. Yeah. I uh, I need to go. I'm yeah. sorry to say, That's but okay. I do I do want to again change the subject dramatically. <laughs> I want to put yet another plug in for those of you who are listening, who don't get the. Email for Ordinary Life. Go to our website, and please uh, consider if you're geographically available coming to hear Jan Phillips on the first Saturday, first full weekend in in January. She'll be here the sixth uh, of January, I think that's the date. It's and
1: seventh, teach- the seventh Saturday, seventh,
0: and then teaching in Ordinary Life on the eighth. But. Um, I, I just hope that we get uh, a lot of people to come and hear her even if we have four or five, which of course we've got a lot more than that. Yeah, but it will it will be sufficient. She's She's a wonderful and amazing and creative person. So I hope that you take advantage of this.
1: Absolutely. Um, it actually prompted me. I haven't signed up yet. So as we're sitting here, I am on the Ordinary Life website with my thumb hovering over the register button. So I need to do that. <laughs> Thanks okay. for the reminder.
0: And, and tell everybody you know to do the same. I sure will. All right. Have Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone. And we'll see you next year.
1: Absolutely. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. bye bye